We're going to continue on in our, our series on Nehemiah, and um, bear with me as I put the uh, microphone back on here. Um, but we started last week talking about Nehemiah, and, and Nehemiah is not just about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but it is a, a pointing forward to the gospel, a pointing forward to the, the new life that we have in Christ Jesus, the new Jerusalem that we would enjoy. This is Nehemiah 2, and I'm going to read um, verse 1 to, um, to 8. So if you follow along, that's Nehemiah 2, verse 1 to 8. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I, I, I took up the cup and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in the, his presence before. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad? See, seeing you are not sick, there is nothing but, but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire, then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I, I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you may send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I might rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors and the provinces beyond the rivers that they might let me pass through until I come to Judah. And let uh, and a letter to Esa, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might give me timber to make beams and gates for the fortress of the temple and for the walls of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good hand. Father, we read in your word it was not Nehemiah's doing. It was not the king's doing, but your doing. Father, remind us of that as we look to your word. Help us to seek you. To seek your son Jesus and the good news that we have. Father, for in your word you revealed to us your love for us from creation into eternity. Father, let it convict us where we need to be convicted. Give us hope where we need hope. But most of all, let us see you. We ask that the words that I speak be tested by this word and moved by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're looking at in Nehemiah is the story of of restoration, uh, a story of 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 renewal. 
And we can often look at ourselves and say we need that same restoration. We can look at our relationships and say we need that restoration, that renewal. And so what I want to encourage you as you look at Nehemiah, as we look at Nehemiah, is to be looking at this pattern of restoration and renewal. So, so here, we kind of start off where we were last week. And I'm going to read to you. Um, do we have, have the... No, no, there's nothing on there. Okay. Um, I want to read to you from uh, verse 2 uh, and 3. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him, I took wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness in my heart. Then I very much was afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's, lies in ruins, the gates had been destroyed by fire. Now remember in Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah recognized the problem. That was the, the first step in this renewal. He recognized that there was a problem. And the problem was that the, the city that they had taken so much pride in was destroyed. Why? This is the other part he recognized. He recognized that, that the reason the city had been destroyed was because of their own sin. He didn't say it's because of the Babylonians. He didn't just say it was because of their enemies. He said it's because we sinned against God and, and, and He brought this judgment on us. That's a hard realization. He confessed. He admitted the source of the problem. And he said, look, I, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm one of the people. We got us into this meth, mess. And because of that, because he started with that confession, he started with that honesty, he started on the right path in this, which was a path that didn't lead to himself and his abilities, but led to God. See, by admitting that we had sinned. He included himself in that we. And by doing that, he admitted that he couldn't do this on his own. That last line in, in this text is really important. Of all the things the king did, of all the things that Nehemiah did, Nehemiah stepped back and said, look, all of this was granted to me because the good hand of God was upon me. It was God's doing, not Nehemiah's, not the king's, but God's. And so he admitted that he couldn't do it on his own. He admitted that, that he was one of the, 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 the people that got him into the mess in the first place. Let's be honest. That's not often what we do when we're faced with a problem. Normally, we have two reactions. The first is often to blame others. And I've said this often. But it's funny how we read the Bible and we read the convicting stuff in the Bible. We read about sin and we read about how we're supposed to live and our first thought is, oh, you know so-and-so, they really need to hear this. We talk about repentance. We talk about conviction of sin so that we can bring other people to that conviction. I find it interesting that the conviction is always used against other people, but never used for ourselves. 
Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 7, 5. He defines what a hypocrite is. And he's preaching to, to this crowd, and he says to the crowd, and, and remember, he says to all of the people there, not just one or two people, he, he's not just pointing out one person, he says, you hypocrites! By the way, that notion that, that Jesus always says nice things. <laughs> he also called people a brood of vipers. But in this moment, he, he says to the, 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 the people listening to him, he says, you hypocrites! And again, who do you think he meant by that? It wasn't for the people standing there to say, oh, yeah, he told that other guy off. No, it was to that person, to everyone in that crowd. He says, take the plank out of your own eye before you remove the speck out of somebody else's. Again, this is one of those texts that we like to look at other people and say, hey, you should remember this text. That text for you. When you read that, it's, it's actually for you. And this points us to the gospel. Because we can't remove it. That's the point of this text. If you've got, got a plank in your own eye, you're not going to be successful at removing the speck out of somebody else's eye. And if you've got a speck in your eye, you're not going to be successful at removing the plank out of somebody else's eye. We can't do it. Whether we have a plank or, or a speck, we are both blind. So this points us to the gospel. Because neither one is without sin. And because of that, we need a Savior to remove either the speck or the plank. Because we can't do it on our own. So maybe instead of talking about the planks and the specks, we should be talking about Jesus. Maybe instead of talking about somebody's physical appearance, we should be talking about Jesus. Maybe instead of talking about someone's style or, or taste, we should be talking about Jesus. Maybe instead of talking about somebody's personalities or their failings, we should be talking about Jesus. Maybe instead of talking about somebody's political opinions, we should be talking about Jesus. Am I wrong? Like, for real, am I wrong? That's not a conviction for anyone else. As, as, as I was writing this, I, I struggled to write this. I was barely able to write this because I failed at this. So if you're thinking, hey, you know what, so-and-so on the other side of this room needs to hear this, stop. You need to hear this. I need to hear this. Because we're not going to be able to remove the plank. We're not going to be able to move, remove the speck. It's only Christ. So none of that other stuff is going to matter. But Christ. Christ is the only one who can make us new, give us new eyes and give us sight. So you can talk about uh, whatever else you think is going wrong with somebody. You can, you can gossip all you want, but only Christ is going to change that person's life. So maybe the encouragement is, is to recognize the problem, as Nehemiah did. Step back and say, it's only God who's going to be able to fix this. The second thing that we do is to bury our heads in the sand and ignore the problem completely when we're faced with a problem. That is, 
to avoid sorrow, right? Like, we don't want to feel sorry. We don't want to feel bad. We just want to be positive. Like, why, why would we want to be negative? So let's just ignore the problem. Pretend it's not a problem at all. We do this because we want to avoid sorrow. We don't want to admit the ways we've messed up. Because that, that was the issue here. Uh, Nehemiah recognized it. It wasn't because of the Babylonians. It wasn't because of anybody else. It was because of what Israel did that they were in that situation. And, and, and they could have ignored the problem like they did in the days of Jeremiah where they said, hey, peace, peace, let's just be positive. You know, everything's good. No, it wasn't good. They messed up. They sinned. We don't want to admit the ways we've messed up. And we never admit the fruits of our sins and our screw-ups. But by never admitting it, we avoid that sorrow. And, and, and that can be great temporarily. But here's the problem. So much of our culture says that sorrow is a bad thing. It is not. That any kind of negative feeling, any kind of negative thought is a bad thing, right? We got this uh, um, um, notion that, that in our culture we should never apologize. I've heard politicians say that, that, that I never apologize, right? No. The reality is we mess up. We sin, every single one of us. And it's okay to admit it. Because when we don't, we miss grace. In fact, it's better if we do. Not only to admit it, but it's actually better if we feel sorrow. Sorrow is okay. It's okay to feel sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation that leaves no regret. Godly sorrow. That comes from that conviction of knowing that, that we messed up. It's okay to say that. There's a, there's a new age concept out there that, that unfortunately has infiltrated the church that says, you know, whatever you speak, right? If you speak something negative, well, that means that, that negative things are going to happen into your life. That's not biblical. In fact, we have a whole book called Lamentations, right? Where the people of Israel are lamenting. They're, they're crying out. They're, they're, they're upset. They're sad. They're negative. But what they admit in that, out of their sorrow, is that it's not them. It's not their emotions. It's not the words they speak. It's not the, the feelings that they have. It's God who can fix it. We can't change our reality by feeling something different. We can't change our reality by speaking. It's only God who can make us new through His Son, Jesus Christ. Nehemiah is honest about his emotions. That leads me to the next thing. Again, Nehemiah is honest about his emotions. He felt sorrow, and guess what? He showed sorrow. In verse 2, it says that, that he, he was so sad that he was showing his sadness. And in verse 3, he was so sad that the king noticed his sadness. And it says he didn't normally show emotions because he was, this was his identity, he was the cupbearer of the king. His job was to be absent. 
You know, I don't know if you, you know anything in, in history about, about like servants in, in a royal household or whatever. We, we probably don't experience this very much. I, I would think most of us have never experienced this. But evidently when you're a royal or you're in a really fancy place, the, the servants there are, are supposed to do their job without being noticed. That was Nehemiah. And yet the king noticed that day. He, he noticed Despite Nehemiah's identity as the cupbearer of the king, he noticed his emotions. He was sad because Israel and Judah had done this to themselves, and they, the city was destroyed. He was sad. And he showed emotion. That's an okay thing, right? You might say, yeah, I'm a country guy. I don't wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm old school. You know, I don't, I don't show my emotions. I don't want anybody to be bothered. I just move on and deal with it, right? Pick myself up by my own bootstraps. I mean, I'm a, I'm a manly man. I don't talk about my emotions. It's just not done. I would say to that, and I, and I hear people tell me about who their, uh, what their identity is. No, you're none of those things. If you're sitting in this church and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're none of those things. You're not a, a, a country person. That's not your identity. You're not a, a gamer. You're not a, a, a surfer. You're none of those things. In fact, among the believers, there is no uh, none of those identities. None of those titles exist. You're not that. I don't care where you, you grow up or what your experience has been, or whatever identity you claim, as a believer in Jesus Christ, your only identity is that, a follower of Jesus Christ. Your old self, your old identity is dead, and you are born again in Christ. That's your identity. The old self, the old identity is gone, and you are a new creation in Christ. Your only identity now is as a follower of Jesus Christ. Notice the disciples. They were, most of them, fishermen. Notice they never referred to themselves as fishermen after they met Jesus. Am I wrong? They never did. Holding on to your identities is holding you back. See, through sorrow and admitting the sorrow, admitting the conviction, we can see that God is changing us and changing our identities. But as long as we hold on to our plans and our identities, we cut ourselves off from his. That's what happened there with Nehemiah. He was willing to risk his identity, his job, everything that, that, that was what he was because of the sorrow that he felt, because of this conviction. You all know the story of Jonah, right? Jonah was an Israelite, a prophet of high repute. That was his identity. <laughs> so you know what God said to him? I want you to go to Nineveh, outside of Israel. But, and Nineveh's like, well, 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 I'm a prophet to the Israelites, not to Ninevites. That was his identity. And God was challenging that identity, saying, I want you to go to some place you have never been. I mean, right, uh, I know I've said this before, but it's like God taking a, a born and bred country Australian and saying, hey, you need to go to do ministry in Harlem in New York, right? He does that. I know it's crazy, right? But he changes us that much. Would you do it? Jonah didn't. 
Jonah didn't want to do that. But God had his way. Because it's not about his way. Uh, it's not, sorry, it's not about our way, but about his. And that's what we see here in Nehemiah. That he not only recognized the problem, but now he said, I've got to move. I've got to do something different. I've got to fix this. And I've got to rely on God to do it. You see that repentance thing. The godly sorrow thing that brings repentance literally means to change direction. Admitting the sorrow allows us to admit that we need to go someplace different to move. It's not anyone else, it's us. We need to move. We need to change when we feel that conviction. And that's what Nehemiah did. And carrying on from this, this is... He, he didn't go and say, look, I'm... I'm I'm strong enough to do this. I can just rebuild the city by myself. No. He prayed. This is the third part. He prayed before action. It says in verse 4, The king said to me, What are you requesting? And he didn't just say his own words. He didn't just speak what he thought. He, he, it says, So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor, that you would send me to Judah. So what did he do? He prayed to the God of heaven. When he felt that sorrow, and he knew that there needed to be action. He knew that things needed to change. He he didn't say, I'm going to just do this on my own. He didn't say, I'm going to play in my own way. Like, I'm the cupbearer of the king, right? I've I've, I've never been to to Jerusalem, but I've got some some power. I've got some authority. I'm just going to do it my way. No, in faith he prayed. And he asked God for direction. Praying before action. James 4.13. We read um, that, that so many say, you know, today or tomorrow I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. But James 4.13 says that we should be praying if it is God's will. We should be asking God, where are you leading me? What are you calling me to do? And, and then we, we so often say when we get to this point or when we face a problem I guess all we can do now is pray like it's a last resort this should be our first option that was Nehemiah's first option to pray to pray and he prayed a prayer of confession in chapter 1 and then he prayed a prayer of I'll use a big word here supplication in chapter 2 it was asking God for help it was God who was going to do this not Nehemiah not the king Nehemiah recognized that that it was God doing this. But he recognized as well that it was him and his people that caused the problem. They couldn't fix it. They needed God. So prayer was the best and first option. And then you see what happened. God blessed him. Not because Nehemiah, mind you. God could could have said no quite easily. And he does that, by the way. It wasn't Nehemiah, it wasn't the king, but this was God's plan. And finally, part of the prayer thing is admitting that he needed help. That's a major thing. He says in verse 7, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors and the province beyond the river that I may pass until I come to Judah. And the letters to Asaph and the keeper of the king's forest I won't read the rest there. 
Because what we see there is Nehemiah is asking God first. Then he's asking the king for help. In fact, this is the key to understanding the gospel. Admitting that we need help. Admitting that we need a savior. Admitting that we need to go a different direction. And that is one of the hardest things for us because it is pride that got us into this mess in the first place. And it's pride that keeps us from moving. Why? Why? Right? Like, I'm, I'm good where I am. I, I don't need to change. Who, who's some preacher to tell me that I, I need to change? Who, who's the scripture to tell me that I need to change? So just give me scripture that tells me I'm doing it right. That's often what we do. Remember that warning that we have in scripture, that there will be a time where, where, where people will not put up with sound doctrine. That sound doctrine that will convict, that will tell us we need to change, but instead they'll be finding things that say, hey, you're, you're doing a good job. Just like in the days of Jeremiah, where the people said, ah, God's okay with us. Peace, peace. But no, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ changes us and transforms us. It sets us on a new course. But what Nehemiah did here was he admitted that he couldn't do this, that he was going in the wrong direction, and that he needed help. And the only one who was strong enough to help was God. And so we get to that last line in this text. And we we can give credit to Artaxerxes, right? Like that was a really nice thing for him to do, is, is, is to let Nehemiah go and do his thing. We can give credit to Nehemiah. That was, a, that was a great thing that he did. He didn't live in Jerusalem. I mean, he could have just ignored it. We could give them credit. But they don't deserve credit. Because what we read in this last line, and the king granted me what I asked for because the hand of God was upon me. God is the one that deserves the credit. It wasn't Nehemiah. It wasn't the king. It was God. And Nehemiah admitted this. And he brought God into this. He said, God, what? He prayed to God, what should I ask? He prayed to God, God, I know we got ourselves into this mess. We need your help. But it doesn't happen unless we have that humility and that conviction and that redirection and that repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, while we were still sinners, you showed your love for us and sent us your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. None of us was deserving. None of us worked for that. It's not because we are good people, but we all fall short of the glory of God. But you, in your grace, and your love, and your kindness, saved us. Father, we thank you for this. Help us to be humbled, to remind us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.